Hello and welcome to the Misty Blue Days of Our Lives podcast. I'm your host, Misty Blue from mistybluedream.com, and I am here to talk about a little bit of everything. Thanks for tuning in. As a legal disclaimer, nothing said here on this podcast should be used in place of medical or professional advice as the intent of the content is to share personal information, opinions, and thoughts. This is episode number three. Today we're going to be with our special guest, Emily, and we're going to discuss PTSD, depression, grief, suicide awareness, a little bit of everything. So I also want to um, go ahead and start out by giving the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number, which is 800-273-8255. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. And now we'll go ahead and get started. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> um, I think just a friendly reminder with the podcast, there'll probably be a cat that might knock the mic over or I might drop some cuss words um, or totally just like have a brain fog and forget what we're talking about, but it'll be fun. Absolutely. And um also, these topics are near and dear to our hearts, are very important to us, both of us, and we want to share because I know there's people out there that could hopefully benefit from this information. So we'll go ahead and let Emily introduce herself. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, hello, I'm Emily. Um, I'm currently in school to be a sign language interpreter. Which is awesome. And you talk about the other things you've done in school because you've done other things too. Yeah, um, I already have a bachelor's for technical theater and do sound work, work with bands. Um, I used to go on some tours with them um, and basically do a lot of sound work and stage work and behind the scenes lighting stuff, which is all is cool. so much fun. And that's how you get involved with a bunch of other organizations. Like I was yeah. involved with Invisible Children and Tori Love in Our Arms. Nice. Through touring and warp Tour and all of that fun stuff. Yeah, you have done some cool stuff. Yeah. Very cool. cool stuff. All right. Tell me more about besides your student life. Like what are you passionate about? Um, really passionate about suicide awareness, especially now. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of helping people. Yeah. So you're just kind of starting to get into the groove of <laughs> the cats are totally fighting right now. Yeah, they're doing it. Um, you're starting to kind of get in the groove of like like finding. I feel like finding your purpose. And, yeah. And like your mission, and I think that's awesome. It's, yeah, it's been cool. I've known her for a long time. It's been cool seeing her like develop into this beautiful young woman who's <laughs> finding her purpose and life. And despite you know the trauma that you've been through, you're um, the way I kind of like to think of it is like, like we're taking one for the team, you know? Yeah. So that way we can guide and lead other people through the dark. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And like, like I said before too, it's, it's kind of renewing. Yeah. Cause I had an old life where when I was a teenager, I had these plans and would go to college and then do sound stuff and become an interpreter. But after a trauma, you kind of have to step back mm -hmm. and pause your whole life for a while. Right. Yeah, and you have think to about everything. Work through that. Um, and I mean, a lot of people don't know how, and that's a like that's another thing too. Um, because I'm going to school now for mm -hmm. I'm going to be going to school for neuropsychology with a minor in health communication. So, yeah. um, man, now the cats are hissing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
So, uh, one of my things is like, they don't teach this shit in high school, you yeah. know, like talking to my daughter and stuff. Cause I'm always, you know, we want to buy a house and like my credit's been jacked. So I've been like spending the last few years fixing that because we want to buy a house this year mm-hmm. and we're getting there, which is cool. But, um, you know, I, my kids are older, so explaining to them like what I'm doing and, and, you know, why we haven't bought a house yet and like the steps to do that, which is like fixing the credit. And so I kind of, you know, have explained to them yeah, how it works. They don't go over that in economics. Yeah. And really. they're just like, that's crazy. Like, why don't they teach this in school? And I'm like, oh, I know. Cause you know, I like, I didn't ever realize like how important credit was. I was just like, you know what? Yeah. Me either. Destroying it, pissing all over it, who cares? Like, mm-hmm. and then one day it's like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, but that's just like one thing. I mean, another thing that I feel like that should be taught to the younger generation is, um, like how to, solve a problem, how to work through problems, how mm-hmm. to deal with stress, how to manage stress in your life. Um, and communication. Yes. So not just like verbal speaking, doing a report right. or something. Just like general life just skills. Talking. Yeah. And also like abusive, like when you're in an abusive relationship, like finding the signs. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times it's like sometimes people, their first relationship, you start seeing the signs of abuse, but you don't know because like it's your first relationship yeah and it's passionate and you see this stuff in the movies um I'm, at least I did yeah and exactly. it's like you just think like well that's how it is in the movies it's like that passion then you make up because really what it is is trauma bonding yeah and you don't you know always know that it might not be healthy or, or the little signs to yeah get it's out like you're early. expected to learn from your experiences instead of learn how healthy relationships are supposed right. to be and then get into them starting out but these experiences can sometimes totally break somebody and crumble their foundation. And it takes, it's so much healing to do. And, and not a lot of people have the tools or the capability to cope. And then I feel like in the long run, um, people, you know, I'm, I know for my twenties, I was a hot mess. <laughs> so I just didn't, I know, I just didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's a shame because it's just like, I wish I recognized that I had depression and I needed to like care for this and do something about it. Yeah. Um, and these are just all things I feel like are so important for like, for kids. And mm-hmm. so maybe one day we can somehow guest speak in these schools or something and yeah, talk to teens. Great. It's what I, I like that. about like little organizations that try and do that already, mm-hmm. which I try to get into. Yeah. And, Cause I was just talking recently about, our generation and the younger ones now because mm-hmm. like our kids are gonna be cool it's yeah. crap you can cuss it's gonna, <laughs> they're gonna be so great and be able to actually function or when there's something yeah. wrong go to us and be like how do I deal with this and we go well in therapy last week I learned this new mechanism so let's yeah. talk about this but well, yeah maybe ours will because we talk to them about stuff a lot and we have yeah. open communication but there's so many that um, still, still are people that are in our age range who maybe haven't dealt with trauma and maybe they don't understand. Yeah, it's not, it. it's not there yet. Like and half of us know how to do right. it all and half of us. So if their can't. kids go through something because, you know, their parents didn't teach them about certain things because they weren't aware of it, you know, they might have a harder time. So really yeah. it's, you know, you never know. I mean, for sure it doesn't, um, discriminate and, um, but so anyway, we're going to talk about. PTSD and depression. So, um, 
We'll start with that first mm -hmm. because that's something that you've been like officially diagnosed with, right? Yeah. Um, like how long have you been dealing with to give us a little background of how long that's been going on when you got diagnosed? So Nate died in February, February 4th. Mm -hmm. And explain to everyone who doesn't know Nate who he is. Um, <laughs> Nathaniel is or was my boyfriend for three years mm -hmm. on and off. Um, and then I went to college, so we're kind of long distance. Uh, but we still always had a very, very close relationship, mm -hmm. extremely close and really healthy and good and just everything kind of great that I've yeah. ever seen in a relationship. Um, we both had depression, so we both dealt with that a lot. Um, I always went to therapy. He was on and off in therapy um, just because insurance is too. He couldn't always go. Resources. Resources was Absolutely. a really big issue. Um, and then... In 2018, so last year, um, he had planned to commit suicide for like a month and, or a month or two. Mm -hmm. And I saw everything, like all of his blog things and everything he was writing for after he was gone because he left everything for me. And it was basically a month. So he and was you weren't aware this is something that he kind of was Right, because we weren't living privately. together. Yeah, we weren't living together yet, but I would go over and we'd spend weekends and stuff. So he had his own place and for all of January, it was very push you away kind of feel. Mm -hmm. And we never have pushed each other away. So I was like, I don't know what's going on, but here I come, like I'm gonna just come over randomly. And then he would just say no, or be really standoffish. And distant. Distant. So it's one of those things where sometimes you just need time. Mm -hmm. So like maybe you just need a week or two. Sometimes I do and you like yeah. seclude yourself from the world and people and you're like, I just need a refresh. Oh yeah, so, I've done that. Yeah, so I went to a run fair with my friends, and during the week I was gone, because I went up and traveled with a bunch of my friends, is when he did. Mm -hmm. So it was, because that was February 4th, and then I heard about it and just stayed up with my best friend Danny, and was just like, I'm just going to chill here for a while, because it was a shock initially. Oh, yeah. Just of... And how did you find out about it? Um, a friend of mine that we worked with messaged me and was like, hey, like, have you, do you know what's happening? Like, what's going on? I was like, what do you mean? Because they wanted more information from me, thinking oh, that I had all the information already. Because you guys are close. And yeah, when in reality, I didn't know anything yet, because they called his parents. Wow. Which his parents, and they were never close, ever. Yeah. Like, him and his mom were, were really good, but, like, Rocky, he his dad is a horrible human being and he knew it and he had yeah. a bunch of siblings and they were never very targeted on their uh, individual kids. It was always just very, you, you have eight kids, they're going right. to do whatever. So he blamed them a lot and like his upbringing too. And so he shared a lot of this in that yeah. month of, yeah. Yeah. And like, I knew about his parents and everything too, but they called them and they didn't really, like, his mom knew me, and so, you know, she reached out to me and gave me the blog post and everything that he oh, left. Because wow. he left, like, a big Tumblr as, like, his note. Yeah. And there was, like, 14 different Tumblr How messages. did he even discover that? Did he leave? Um, he left it for the police. Wow. And so he sent a timed, like, email to them. Wow. Because, um, should I say the method on here? Is there, like, trigger warning? I mean, this warning? whole episode's a trigger warning. That's trigger very warning. true. So, because he, he slit his wrist and bled out, and, like, he, it was very graphic of telling me exactly how 
and time periods and he talked to me like the whole time too and like you can see him just doing tumblr posts yeah in the post yeah and even in the post and like just texting me randomly and it was just very normal like all of his messages were like because it was super ball sunday and my friends were watching super ball and we were like doing craft things and he was like how's crafting going like let me see your skirt meanwhile he was dying wow and like i couldn't do like there was nothing there was no sign of anything it was crazy it was very just like i just want to hear about your day it was so normal and then he was gone wow um yeah i i mean so how do you how the hell do you get through that through that (laughs) it was two months of sitting in bed and crying every day and not being a human at all yeah and um i went to circles of care for a little bit Mm -hmm. Because eventually, when you stay in bed for two months straight, yeah, like my mom was worrying, everyone was worrying. They didn't, they didn't know what to do, right? Because you don't know what to do when, yeah, like what do you do when your daughter's boyfriend just committed suicide? Yeah, you, you she, she had no idea, and I didn't really either. Yeah, you don't. There's no handbook for that, right? And like, so then I started eventually like going out and mm-hmm. taking a walk, and kind of just like I went to the art fair in Melbourne and saw everything but as soon as like I would see a family or see people together yeah I would just start bawling just anywhere Mm -hmm. constantly yeah because any little tiny thing I feel like yeah or any little thing that like we did together or just little moments or anything Mm -hmm. just triggered everything so finally got into therapy Mm -hmm. by emailing every single person I could think of into it love on her arms and like my old therapist because I didn't have insurance at all oh, so I was like I'm going through the same thing now because he couldn't go to therapy for a while oh either my gosh. I was like cool so I really need therapy really yeah, badly desperately and I can't pay for it um but Jerry Love and Harm set me up with a therapist that signed awesome. sealed hard for me and because she realized she, I we needed it mm-hmm. and once I eventually it was three months of therapy like intensive twice a week therapy um, and then I finally got a job. So what kind of therapy, um, method did they use? Like, did they... She started with, uh, cognitive, mm-hmm. and then, um, we went really heavy into methods of when I got into panic attacks mm-hmm. and PTSD attacks and how to get out of them instead of, like, sitting yeah. in them, which was, um, there was a halo method which was just visualizing a halo kind of above your head and slowly going over your whole body to start feeling everything physically on your body. Mm-hmm. So you get out of your head oh. and get into more physical, okay, I can touch this. I feel my bracelet like jingling on my skin. This is how it feels on my skin and very intensely describing physical things around you. Yeah. Um, this, is that similar to grounding? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of grounding techniques. Explain um, a little bit what grounding is for someone who doesn't grounding is when you disassociate very hard like very hard you just get into your head you don't think about anything that's around and so you pick something physical something you can see that will help you attach kind of back to the world Mm -hmm. and back to where you are and what you're doing now and in the present which is really important yeah yeah because i mean that's why they say like people like black out you know kind of because it's like you just totally it's like I would, yeah I would use days mm-hmm. like even the two months to me felt like a week 
Oh, I bet. It's like completely disassociated with anything. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I, I would see myself doing it or you would just sit there and like I look at the clock and be like two hours later, I was like, oh no. And so I pick a thing, like a lamp and describe that lamp a lot. <laughs> And like the floor tiles, just yeah. every single thing. I can describe things so great now. Um, there's a lot of grounding techniques. It was. Um, so did you guys talk about grief? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what kind of tips and advice did, you know? Yeah. Um, because there's the, the general stages of grief, which mm -hmm. is still a legit thing. Yeah. Except for... We talk about that a lot. The uh, Kubler-Ross, which is the mm -hmm. Swedish um, psychiatrist that she wrote a book on it and um, kind of pioneered that whole theory, which people still use today. Yeah. And the big thing with, like, the circles of grief is that when I learned them, because, like, I've heard of them before. Right. You always hear these things. bargaining denial. Yeah. And they go on, like, a cycle. Acceptance. That cycle is not true. Yeah. <laughs> it is not a cycle. You cannot pick which stages you're going through, and yeah. you don't get to the next one. It's well, everywhere. Yeah, actually, I have a blog post on it, um, mm -hmm. the, the stages of grief with chronic illness, and it, it pretty much is, you know, very similar. I go through all of those, but I basically say how, like, you know, even when you get to acceptance, you don't stay there. You don't live in acceptance. That's not... Yeah you know, you, you're gonna, you might end up back in anger, like, next week, and be angry and pissed off, and then you might go, you know, bargaining, and maybe you'll feel acceptance again, and then back to, you know, yep. it's, it's a squiggly it's line. It's such, it's so squiggly, there was, like, this little mean thing that had the stages, and then it just went like this, this yeah. crazy, because it's what happens, and every time I would come in to therapy, it was, what stage do you think you're in right now? And I would say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I call myself coasting. Yeah. Like, like today is very, like, coasting. Like, it's a good day. I'm making sure, like, I feel all the things I'm feeling. But um, it's not, it's not here or there. Right. It's, like, coasting along, but it's not a bad coasting thing. It's kind of good to, I feel like, um, be aware of what stage you're in. Mm -hmm. Once I kind of connected, like, for me anyway, with, like, chronic illness, for, as an example, when I connected the dots that like, okay, I'm going through these stages. And um, when I realized that it made so much more sense to me and I felt like I had a lot more control, even though I'm not controlling more, just, I guess, acceptance. Yeah. So like, you know what? I'm just angry today and that's okay mm -hmm. because that's normal. And I'm in that stage and I'm not going to always be angry. Yeah. Like a lot of the grief too was, mm -hmm. you know, I was pissed at him. Yeah. But I've never been angry at Nate in my life. Yeah. Like, we have never it. had an actual real fight. Mm -hmm. Like, we've had them, but we've always worked them out so easily. So, like, I've never been angry at him for a long time. And I was like, I'm just so pissed. Yeah. Like, fuck you. How yeah. dare you? But I'm not an angry person. Mm -hmm. So it was really hard for me to feel that anger and yeah. let it out somehow. Because I'm like, I shouldn't be angry at him. Because I just yeah. shouldn't be, and, like, I would but say all these things. And I feel like knowing, like, you know what, this is the stage that I'm going through. Yeah, to the, be angry. healing yeah. process. And I, you know, knowing that, like, okay, I don't necessarily mean this. I'm just, yeah. this is how I feel. I was like, I feel like I'm to break something. And my therapist was like, so break something. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Um, I can't break anything. She's like, no, really. You know, there's a dollar store with I, plates. You know, I love <laughs> that because, um, 
because I have the Invisible Diaries podcast too, mm-hmm. which is on invisible illnesses and stuff. And we literally just today um, put out the Toxic Positivity podcast. Yeah, I just and um, <laughs> all good. <laughs> um, and toxic, the whole toxic positivity is like so important to me because I feel like people want you to focus on one, you know, type of emotions, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, the positive ones, like being happy and and grateful and yep. all of those things, which is wonderful and dandy and all. But at the same time, like it's it's healthy to feel, you know, angry and and um, sad and nervous and all of those things. And yeah. people try to, you know, it's like they expect you to put on a mask and just be a certain way. And so when you apply that to grief and depression, um, you know, I think that's something that people don't realize like that it's healthy. So here we have a therapist who's, you know, licensed professional, who's educated, who's Mm -hmm. telling the patient like, go fucking break something. Yeah. Because that's normal. And you're, she told me how she was like, this alley is perfect. Get (laughs) tarp. Go break it all, Dexter and you can put it on. Like it was really Dexter style, honestly. Oh my god! But it was fantastic. Well, you know, in a healthy, legal way. Yes, no, of course. Nobody was fine. It was like no, there was no harm. But it's it's true it's because it's like place. you know sometimes you just need sometimes you need an outlet and you need to feel that and mm-hmm. um, you know I've had trauma in my life as well and uh, seeing my therapist um, one of the things she says she likes to use for some of her patients is like writing a letter and then burning it. Yeah. You know, because you can't give it to that person, but maybe it's like, it's a way to kind of have that closure. And I mean, there's all kinds of different tools you can try. Mm-hmm. Um, like to- even recently for, um, it was Nate's birthday mm-hmm. in May. And like, you know, you don't really know, I don't know what to do with it. And like, if there was a different, same thing, you're going to remember three dates your anniversary, the day he died, his birthday. Mm -hmm. And those three dates are every single time they come up are going to be some kind of trigger, stressful. You're going to think about them all of those three dates. Nothing else is going to matter. And she was right. So for his birthday, especially this year, I lit like little lantern things, put them up, but I wrote kind of like a poem thing to him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to do with it because what do you do with it? Like I wrote this thing for you and I can't give it to you. So it's kind of like the burning the letter thing, but I also did post it my social media yeah because sometimes I'm like and it's like a stigma too because mm-hmm. a lot of people that I've seen in like my solos group which is uh, survivors of loved ones that died from suicide mm-hmm. is they can't post anything because they feel like people don't want to hear about it anymore or like you know it's it's been this long why are, yeah why are you it. so why are you still harping on this you know move on like those yeah. things that I'm like everyone that knows me says knows not to do those things because I will blow up with them but no, I just posted it on social media and you feel like this little relief of yeah, like, cause it's going it's somewhere, there. even if it's, it's just something. in a cloud. Yeah. Um, and even just getting the support from my friends of seeing it and going, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like he would have loved that. Like, thank you for sharing it. Like all those little things of, yeah. It's a, it's a way to memorialize somebody. Yeah. And, and you know, let's face it, like humans, are very ritualistic. Mm-hmm. I don't care what culture you are, like every culture I feel like has rituals yeah. and ceremonies and that's how we deal with, that's how we live life. I mean, think about marriage and, and, and death, you know, you have funerals and celebrations of birth and life and, yep. you know, um, we do have these ceremonial ritualistic 
tendencies that we do. And so I feel like that's just a totally natural, healthy way to memorialize someone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if you're just lighting a, a candle that day or whatever, yeah. um, it's definitely something that I feel like is a healthy thing to do. I mean, what would you say like the first, these first couple of, um, dates and, and anniversaries or birthday versus like the recent ones because I know it's been a few years the difference yeah. between it's how a, you handled yeah so for his first birthday because it was February March April May and May was his first birthday mm-hmm. after that and that was I spent like two months thinking of what to do for his birthday because mm-hmm. I had no idea what to do or how I would feel that day or what was going to happen so I with my best friend, I made like five, ten lists of just everything. Cause like mm-hmm. I slightly am OCD. <laughs> so I just wrote out every single thing that could go wrong. I love lists. I love lists <laughs> so much, like so much. Um, but we wrote everything down and I was like, I don't care who comes, but we're going to have a birthday party. Yeah. And I went to, um, one of the li- little parks mm-hmm. and we just like did a bunch of incense and like kind of did you know, sage and everything, and uh, wrote stuff to him, put them on candle things, sent them up, yeah. like, been by the water, because for me and him, it's always been very water and beach, because, yeah. like, we would go in the middle of the night or after work together mm-hmm. and go to the ocean, yeah, or go to the pier, or, like, somewhere mm-hmm. where there was water. There was always water, and um, that was also, oh, that was also a big thing, too, because um, he also made a playlist. Oh, the songs because music was really big for us right. too um so it was always about water and doing those kind of things i lost track of where oh um, no no i think that's perfect yeah. um so like with music okay so this is probably just a random question but mm-hmm. i feel like you know when you hear a song that reminds you of you know someone that you lost and there's like you sometimes you can either just like your heart breaks and just break down crying. Um, what is like a, a way to try to move from that point to being more like, okay, maybe more yeah. like open, like warm hearted, like, you know, it's memorializing it's, versus. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a process. You know with it. So yeah. So the playlist he sent me for mm-hmm. his, he called ending of sentence. There was our songs on it. So after that, listening to those, at first I played it constantly, mm-hmm. and it was listening to it too much. Yeah. And it gave it a feeling of when I'm in bed for two months. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever I heard them, it, like, hurt me. But now, you know, you stop listening to it for a little bit, or you put something away, and that's, like, the main thing I could say is to put them away Yeah. for a little while. Like, mm-hmm. if you listen, if you hear them sometimes, it's still going to trigger you, and it's still going to hurt. And every time I would hear the random song on, like, a radio or if I was right. in a store or something, I'd have to go outside and just breathe and do, like, yeah, a breathing technique. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering is um, how do you get through to the to a healthier um, point in your life to where you, when you hear that song, you can be more, like, you know, yeah. of a heart-happy, like, you read, not uh, happy, but you know what I mean? Word? More just, yeah. like, was that a fond memory type of versus... It's um, redirecting it. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah, because we, a lot of those songs mm-hmm. I played on the way up, because uh, the bridge, like, going over a bridge to me is um, uh, just a suicide trigger for myself. 
mm-hmm. because the thought is always like just drive off mm-hmm. super easy um and that's always like there that's part of my suicidal ideation and so my therapist was like all right play your songs that make me really sad and like i would always get panic attacks too while walking up a bridge and my best friend got like little blower things and bubbles and like we walked up the bridge and like did like confetti stuff on top of it and got chalk and wrote like Nate's name Aww. and like you know the hotline and like wrote so all these positive things yeah. and redirected how those songs felt and how driving over that bridge felt or being on that bridge felt mm-hmm. with this crazy positive memory of doing it sounds like a nice stuff like, on Exactly. <laughs> it is. It was a hundred percent like a nineties video. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, so it's like you're you're kind of yeah, I like that. That's a great idea. Yeah. So whenever I think of something like that now, like the song Waves by Dean Lewis is was his like that song. Mm-hmm. And when I think of it, when I heard it before on like a show or something, I had to turn it off. Mm-hmm. But now I have that like melancholy or bittersweet feel to it where yeah. like I know how much this hurt before. Mm-hmm. But now that I've used it in other such like ways of living and ways of helping people or saying, hey, listen to this song or this lyric is really important and working through something, it just changed that feel. Yeah. So I can actually live with it. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that group. What was it called again? So the, the Solos. Oh, the Survivors. Solos? Yeah. Yeah. Solos, um, Survivors of loved ones that mm-hmm. I forgot what the acronym means. It's called Solos. Survivors of loved ones. That commit that committed suicide. Mm-hmm. It's very specific of now what is your partner did. Something in person or is it something? It's a Facebook group. Okay. Um they have a few of them, but one is sponsored with um the American Suicide Foundation. Mm-hmm. And they have admins that are all either have been through it for a really long time and um gone through therapy or class or something like that. Yeah. And that's a great thing too. Like if you are going through this, um, and you get to a point where you, you know, learned healthy tools. Mm-hmm. Um, I, f- I feel like another great way of healing is to be able to help somebody else. Yeah. And like, not everyone is like that. Right. And I always wanted to like, cause on the group too, a lot of people were like, I feel so bad that I can't help people. Yeah. It's been five years, six years since my significant other died. I just can't be the one to help somebody. And that's also okay. Yeah. They like, probably don't even realize I'm sure they're helping. Yeah. There always are. Because they've helped me randomly right. by just giving me a comment or something. Yeah. But there, and then there are some people like me that is like, I can help people. Like, yeah. I need to help people. Nate told me to help people. Yeah. So, so I'm going to do that too. Tell me more too. about that. He, the things he's, he told you. Yeah. Um, it was. It was in his note too, and it was, uh, he said hypocrisy is going to be his legacy, because he was like, don't let anyone do this, um, that he was just too tired, and he felt like this was this for him, but for me, it wasn't, for his friends, it wasn't, and to meet, to help people, he was like, just help them, get them tools, do all the things that I know you would have wanted me to do, and that I should have done, but hypocrisy is my legacy, but do these things. I was like, thanks for giving me a laundry list from my life now. (laughs) Man, I just can't imagine. I know when you told me, like, back when all this happened, it's just like, I feel like 
even still now, it's just like, what the hell do I say? So what would you recommend, you know, friends and and loved ones for you um, or who have someone who's going through this, like how they can be supportive? Yeah, because that's a difficult one too. Yeah. Because no one knows how to. Because like I said, I like, even still now, it's just like, what do I say to that? Yeah, because exactly. there's the only thing I can think of in my head, you know, that I'm not saying out loud, it's just like, it, it's so just, it's a tragedy, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it's like, I, I just don't even know the words. Yeah. And that's really it too. Like, I don't even know the words whenever, because whenever Amanda would come up to me and be like, hey, you okay? What are we doing? And it was very much actions, mm-hmm. a lot of actions of like, so if I was breaking down or felt something, I don't, it's never anything that needed to be said. Mm-hmm. It was more the one thing that would actually be not beneficial that everyone would constantly always do is you get that look of pity. Yeah. Whenever you tell someone and they like their heart breaks for you and you could see it and you understand because your heart broke too. Yeah. And so you're in that similar boat of feeling it, but you're like, but you know, I'm okay. Like I'm here. Yeah. That's a hard, that's hard when you're getting that, that look. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it's like, like the constant pity look. That's is not what, what you're wanting. You're wanting, you know, you don't want, it's just hard. Cause I feel like that's another reason why people are quiet about how they feel. Cause they just, they don't want other people to have to, yeah. To make other, someone else feel that like way. Uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so, it's, I feel like the uncomfortable is a stigma that's been put on everything mm-hmm. because it's, it's uncomfortable talking about death or something that personal, but like when you're but with it a friend, to happen because it, it happens. happens. Yeah, it's exactly. Life. I mean, people lose their loved ones and people go through these things. And like I said, because there is no handbook, you know, people don't know what to do. Yeah. So even just, you know, I feel like just being there and listening and letting people mm-hmm you know, cry or, or even just showing up. Yeah. It's either, what do you need right now? Like physically, do you need something or do I need to just sit here and grab an animal? Yeah. Like, like which, which option do we need to do something to go out? Do you need to just leave? Yeah. Like those like presenting physical options of leaving somewhere or giving me something, um, showing up with literally a flower you just picked from a garden i think like, the showing up and, and just doing things taking the initiative on your own is the best because i know for me personally when i'm going through something i have the worst you know ability to i don't have the ability to ask for help yeah or ask for something so like when i've been in the hospital or something when someone's like hey do you need anything my answer is always no yep uh, and, and maybe Mine I'm starving. <laughs> I could be starving, have an email day, or like I really need like face wipes or underwear or whatever. Yep. And I just will be like, oh no. Cause it's just like again, it's like I know I'm not a burden, but it's like I have that deep down inner mentality mm-hmm. that like I so don't, many of my friends have it too. Everybody does. Everyone has so, it. So I've just started going, okay, well, I'm doing one of these two things, so pick one. Yeah, so doing something <laughs> like that, yeah. offering something um, or options or just showing up, I feel like is the best thing because mm-hmm. um, people are just going to say no or they're fine. So if, if you just show up with, you know, some magazines and yeah. flowers or, you know, or even just show up, just show up. with the shoulder. Yeah, that's, that's really it. Exactly. <laughs> like, if you just show up, that's it that's fine 
because then, you know, if they need something, then you can go get it. Or you can be like, we can go get it together. Right. Do you want me to go with you? Well, that was a lot of it, too, because yeah. I wouldn't leave my bed. I wouldn't leave the house. Mm-hmm. And even when um, I moved in and finally got my own apartment, because that was a huge step. Oh, yeah. That was, like, end goal for me. Mm-hmm in the first year with therapy was move out of my parents yeah. and start my life again. Yeah. That was like the scariest thing in the world. I look back now and I thought a year and a half ago, there's no way, like, I don't even know who I was going to be wow. like that at that point, after like three or four months of doing therapy, I'm like, I still don't know who I'm going to be in a year. No, yeah, you've made so all. much progress. Like I remember when you were like about to start working again mm-hmm. and you were like scared and I mean, and now look at you, like you're, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, right. I have so many jobs and working so hard to make a lot of dreams with me. My friend opening a store and just being an interpreter and those dreams need to happen. Yeah. Because I want to live my life while I can mm-hmm. and while I have it. And even then I want to live it harder for him. Yeah. Um, Andrea Gibson did a poem um, called The Way You Left. I think I would need to look up the name, but that poem that she did is a hundred percent exactly how I felt as a survivor and um she wrote it for her best friend whose husband died by suicide too and it was so perfect um and what was her name Andrea Gibson yeah um so I'm gonna pull it up to see if I can read it um but, you know, while I'm doing that, uh, why, what would you say, why would you say suicide awareness is so important? Because so many people feel it and won't say it. Like so many people that are just happy, pretend they're happy, or don't even know if they have depression, mm-hmm. like feel it. So many people have been like, well, if I just not existed today, or there's a lot of jokes about it too. Yeah. Which sure. I used to do too. Like mm-hmm. there are so many times I was like, ha, or we'll just kill ourselves. Like yeah. that has been such a joke. Like more in my generation, I think, than anything. Yeah. Is just like that. I notice a lot too in the, like, even just like comedians in their community all here. Mm-hmm. I, I always would joke with my husband, like, how many comedians are going to do a suicide joke? And it was, like, almost, like, all of them right. do it. That's what, like, they do it all the time. Right. And, you know, it's not, it's not something I ever not, pers- like, are angry about if someone does. Because right. I still make them sometimes. Yeah. Because it's just, like, you don't even almost realize. a habit. Yeah, it's one of those natural things. Um... Like, yeah, kill me. I got to do the cat box today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, like, but it's so easy to do. I, you know, I, I feel like, I'm, you know, with suicide awareness. That one, the day you died because you wanted to. I feel like with suicide awareness, um, you know, it, it, it's important too, because, you know, I mean, just think of like Robin Williams, like, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was. Or even like, so I worked for Kate Spade. Oh, wow. Me and Nate both worked That's for Kate Spade, right. uh, like, because we were their call center, basically. Yeah, I remember that. And, like, I have all of her stuff, like, from the little raffles and things that they used to give away for us, and to hear, like, I think it was a month after Nate died, 
that she committed oh suicide. I and was Anthony like me Bourdain. Yeah. I love him so much. And these are these no one ever really thought about it. And they could also like Robin Williams went to therapy too. Yeah. But like part of it's they're busy. They don't think that they need to go get help. Right. Because it doesn't feel like anything's wrong. Because you're not shown something feels wrong. Mm -hmm. This is what's wrong. And it's not your fault. And the thing is, is people don't, again, because of the stigma, and again, why I'm so passionate about toxic positivity is because people are afraid to talk about it. Yeah, or just smile through it. It'll be different tomorrow. Suck just it keep up. going. Yeah. Everything's all right. It's and eventually it's not. But yeah, and, and then people, they, I feel like people are almost like ashamed of having feeling these emotions because mm -hmm. it's like we're not supposed to we're supposed to be positive we're supposed to be happy and, and smile yep um and that I feel like is kind of another reason why you know I mean I mean it, the, the topics it's a hard topic yeah not a lot of people there's so many about factors it. in it mm -hmm. and like how people feel with it because like Nate's was very strategic it was definitely a planned out had everything in line, everything sorted for it, knew that was the end goal. There are some people in my group that it was very spontaneous. It was like, okay, I can't do it, I'm done. And then they got that that initial adrenaline to do it, whether it was like shooting or something really fast or like, it's very random. They could either be really planned out or spontaneous and just right then and there. And you don't get a why. Or figure out like what yeah not wrong. everybody gets um and that's the biggest people, thing they for me they don't they don't get a, what yeah. happened or why did you do this Nate spelled it all out this yeah. is exactly why which not this a lot is of what happened yeah not a, it's a, such a different grief aspect too between yeah. not knowing why so you're sitting there wondering for like the rest of your life trying to figure it out and then knowing why mm -hmm. so I didn't get a choice I didn't get to question Right. You know, if I did something wrong or if I could have prevented it or done anything, because he said I couldn't. Mm -hmm. So I, he took away, like, I feel like he took away that choice for me right. to be able to be angry too mm -hmm. about how I didn't know what was going on or I could have fixed it or I could have saved him because I, I couldn't. Right. And I feel like a lot of people that are in his position, you know, they, when they just, I don't think they realize how much like they have such a deep pain and hurt inside of them, but I don't think they realize all they're doing is taking that and spreading it mm -hmm. to everybody else. When or the like, saying of like, when someone commits suicide, it's just passing your pain to somebody else. Right. It's it going, really is. and it is like at a hundred percent, especially with everything he gave me, felt like he went, I can't hold it anymore. I'm too tired. So here. Yeah. And it, a hundred percent feels like I will hold the burden for me and you. And I, you know, I feel like people don't, they don't realize that. And that's like something too, that I like to get the point across is because, you know, I know there's been times in my life where I felt like, okay, I, people just be better off if it wasn't their life. Like I've had, yeah. I've or it'll, thought it'll that pass. Like, you people know, won't like, think about it too much. It'll all pass. And, and, but it's like, I know now, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, I mean, my family would have been devastated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's something that, like, it's just, it's such a horrible thing, and I just wish there was a way to, like, have, right, exactly, somehow just, like, shake help it. everybody, um, so I don't know, I mean, what are, 
what are some things that you could offer, you know, as far as advice or something to say to somebody who like, you know, him mm -hmm. who's going through that and maybe having those thoughts that it's not even about not being a burden or knowing you're enough because partially you're not going to believe it. Right. Um, it's about getting the drive. Because if you feel like you have the drive enough to end everything, then you have the drive enough to keep going. Yeah. I like that. That's a great, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Instead of picking up a gun, you Google, which is way easier. Or call the or National, call the suicide, National suicide, suicide Hotline. Prevention Hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. Exactly. Because that's but, all you have to do. I mean, that's one way to start and, and start you know, it. There's there's other organizations too, mm -hmm. um, or even you know. Okay, so here's an example too. Like I have a lot of heavy shit that I've been through in my life. Um, I even a lot of my writing back in the day was so dark that I I was so proud of it that I'd share it with people and it was very Sylvia Plath style and people yep. their response wasn't like oh my god that's beautifully written or you're so talented. It was are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, yeah, like, <laughs> wow, so my stuff's like too dark to share with people. Yeah. Or to share with people. Um, I can't even remember where I'm going with this. <laughs> right? But like, I did it too. And then my mom was, my mom realized it. Yeah. And looked at it. And of course, like, she had all of like your friends and everything. So she was like, is this too dark? Is this something that she, you should be sharing? And then, you know, she shoved me into poetry nights and she's like, maybe we should listen to other people's poetry. Yeah. Maybe there's something I'm missing here. I mean, for me, it was a great but, outlet. I can't remember what my point was. I had, I was totally going somewhere though with that. Um, but I totally lost it. That's what I, I, <laughs> I did earlier. I, yeah, I, I was like, I went I somewhere with something and then I just we'll lost it completely. Brain fog moment. But um, yeah, we were talking about just knowing for people just realizing that they are mm -hmm. enough. Yeah. Um, you know, even if you don't think that you have anyone um, to talk to. Mm -hmm. We're talking about having, you know, the drive. If you can dedicate that right. much time to thinking those thoughts or, or throw it into, because it's also like a hobby. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're so driven on the fact of, you know, you think you need to end everything and you're about to and you have that feel to direct it towards another thing, like writing, mm -hmm. like writing it all down, no matter how dark or whatever you're doing, write. Um, I, after everything with Nate, obviously my suicidal ideation and everything picked up hardcore, I picked up a ukulele. Yeah. And literally whenever I felt like I wanted to die or like it's, this, was, this was enough or I just had too much, I would pick it up. Yeah. Because it was something I didn't have to leave the house for. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to go too far. I could just pick it up and actually just start strumming it. So it was an easy thing for me to direct to. Yeah. Having hobbies, I think, are so important for mental health just in general because you are you're being creative you're doing something you're being productive mm -hmm. no matter what it is i mean i don't care if you want to build doll houses or collect you know popsicle sticks like yep. it's something and you know it, it's a start for something somewhere and it can build into whatever mm -hmm. um i know like for me something that helped me a lot was um volunteering at the Brevard humane society because like i love animals and I, I'd walk them so I was getting a little bit of exercise I was volunteering yep having like 
something that you're volunteering or giving back to, I feel like it gives people a sense of purpose and responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, having pets, of course, it gives you like this loving, uh, this sense of love. And it's like, it's like something that without too much responsibility, you know, like if, yeah. if, if sometimes a relationship can be a little too much, but having a pet, you know, it's, it's more, it's more simple. I mean, the, the pet needs you. Yeah, you exactly. You, pet, you have more responsibility. You love them. It's easy. It's an easy love. Yeah. Unless we're chewing up all your stuff. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you know, um, there's, and it's hard cause like that's not always going to solve it. Of course. Cause I mean, Nate had those things too. Um, well therapy, but you know, is that's the, that's the jump for me. Yeah. Is therapy. Literally, when anyone asks me any advice, I will constantly give them advice and be there for them no matter what. But my ending is, so there's a therapist. That's where I was going with um, my thing. Yeah. Is, so <laughs> therapy. Therapy. Um, yeah. There's so here. <laughs> yes. Okay. So that's where I was going. Um, I think. I, so <laughs> I have a good list to go. Okay. What, this is what it was. I was saying how I, the things I wrote, the things I had were so deep, right? Mm -hmm. And heavy these topics and this stuff that I had to get out. Well, when I would vent to certain friends, a lot of my friends, it was too much. And I feel like that's also too when some people Yeah, you respect like, your friend's boundaries. Yeah, they can hear the, the people know. who think like, okay, this person's so negative or whatever. I mean, it, it was a lot, I get it. Mm -hmm. So when you hear someone, they're constantly like complaining about negative things and you're that person, because I've been that person. Um, I think when I realized like that the conversations weren't healthy because they weren't really the right person to talk to mm -hmm. and I started to get this resentment towards friends because I felt like okay I can't talk to these people right about these important things in my life and so I think that was when I got to the point where I realized like okay I need to talk to a professional because I don't want to like burn these bridges I don't want to get rid of my friends I don't want to resent my friends um they're great but they're just not capable of this deep heavy shit yeah. that I need to get off my chest and there's literally people out there whose jobs and careers are to listen to this heavy shit help you sort through it and build the tools so that's where I was exactly. getting, was that like that was one of the best things I did for me too was to start seeing a therapist because I was able to talk to this and she listened yeah and she gave me you know tools to deal with things my friends I could talk to them about stupid shit like mm -hmm. what I had for lunch or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it was, you know, I was able to maintain these friendships and relationships without giving them this heavy burden that, that they just truly didn't know, you know, because that was something like that I had a hard time realizing is that like, just because like I'm going through this and it's heavy and I've dealt with this trauma or whatever, like I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that like this person couldn't understand, yeah. you know what I mean? And it made me feel alone. And so you know, at the end of the day, you're not, you're just not talking to the right person. Exactly. And, and the right person really is going to be a professional. Yep. Especially for all my grief. So when it first happened, um, a friend of mine's grandfather died, mm -hmm. like almost like very close to it. And I felt nothing. I couldn't even empathize with them. And like my, my grandparents have died before Nate. And, like, I, I know that feeling of, like, losing, a, like, a family member or a loved one. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't. There, there was a blockage. And, I, like, I just couldn't feel anything about it. And my friends couldn't help me with that. Yeah. They were like, you, you don't feel things? 
Yeah. I don't know what to do with that. And I was like, you know who does? My therapist. <laughs> and she helped me get back to yeah. her. Because like after the, a tragedy, you just shut I shut down. I had no, I had no filter. I was really bitchy, and I knew it. Yeah. Because I was like, I can't not. I just have to say everything that I'm thinking, or else I don't know. I'll blow up. And therapist. That was one yeah. of the things that they're meant for that. Right. They're like, I know how to, I know how to do this. And everyone should really have a therapist too at the end of the day, just to kind of work I agree. through, even if it's just like the stress of everyday life or your yeah. work is stressful. Like even if you didn't go through a tragedy and you didn't, you don't think that there's a real need to go to therapy, go once a month. Yeah. Just for, it's like a doctor checkup, it, honestly. Right. And it never hurts to like have you know, additional tools. Uh, like I just did a podcast recently um, and we were talking about therapy and she was saying like that with what she's going through and stuff, she had, you know, her boyfriend come and, you know, they had a healthy, good relationship, but it was helpful for him to just kind of understand and yeah, like know how to understand what she's going through. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was like a really cool thing. My husband just got home. Hi. <laughs> well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up because that means we've been doing this for almost an hour. Awesome. <laughs> but I think, you know, we covered a lot and yeah. Um, I'll share your like Instagram mm -hmm. too, in case anyone wants to like reach out to you. Yeah. Definitely. If that's cool. Yeah. Um, you know, cause sometimes it even just like messaging a complete stranger. stranger. Is, I've, I've done it so many times. Yeah. Even my solos group, everything you just message a stranger like, Hey, you kind of know what yeah. I'm going through. You've done this before. What's yeah. up? And I will answer you always. And so, so. if you can't get in to a, see a therapist because you don't have the resources and then try, you know, like to write love on her arms or other mm -hmm. programs like that, you know, see if there's any type of, uh, assistance anywhere. Um, I know for like Florida, you can call two one one. Yeah. And sometimes they have resources and there's, there's always a place. If and you can't think, you don't think you can find therapy. There's always a place that has a cheap or affordable or sliding scale. You can find it. It takes a little bit of effort, but right. that's why you reach out to people that kind of know what to do. And while you're trying to do that, there's always at least trying to find like an online support group mm -hmm. and, and they can maybe even guide you, but that's a good way to start too. Cause then you're, you know, that's how I started. I found the solos group yeah. before I started therapy Oh wow! and they helped me get the courage to go to therapy Yeah, because they were all like, we're all, we're all in it. Yeah, <laughs> we all got therapy, every single one of us. Yeah, so finding people that are, you know, get it and understand it. Again, you know, these could be total strangers, but like there's people that you can talk to that mm -hmm. like maybe your friends that you're having lunch with, you know, that you've been buddies with and go to movies with isn't yep. going to be able to be the person to talk to you yeah. about. So, and I mean, um, still talk to your friends about it too, because sometimes they give you the extra push of yeah. like, I need help looking up this place. Okay, I have my phone out. I'll just go it for you. Yeah, and that like might that's be a the way easiest where they can thing. Yeah, it's feel not, like they're helping. Exactly, it's not like the emotional help, but it's like you physically need a ride to this place. Sure, tell me when, like yeah. that kind of thing. Awesome, cool. All right, so um, again, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is one 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, my blog is mistybluedream.com, which is M I S T I B L U. D-R-E-A-M dot com. And this is Emily. And thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.